Generation Mix. This is the podcast where a father and a son review the CD the dad's been making for the son for the last seven years or so. I'm the dad, I'm Neil. I'm the son, I'm Joel. And if you picked up on our musical clue from the previous episode, then you will know that we are listening to the music of... The Smiths. The Smiths were a band that emerged in the 80s. They formed in 1983. They released four studio albums that are very highly regarded. Releasing one a year up until their split in 1987. Within that time, they also released a whole bunch of singles that eventually kind of formed the basis of another three albums worth of material. So we've got a lot from which to pick. They formed in 1983 and consisted of Stephen Morrissey, better known by just the single name Morrissey, who was the vocalist. Johnny Marr on guitar, Mike Joyce on drums, and Andy Rourke on bass. And I left Andy Rourke to last because he sadly passed away just over a month ago. So I mentioned that they released four studio albums plus three albums worth in terms of other material. And we're going to go to their third album, which is often cited as one of the greatest albums of all time, let alone of the 1980s. And we're going to kick off appropriately enough with the title track, The Queen Is Dead. So I broke into the palace with a sponge and a rusty spanner. She said, I know you and you cannot sing. I said, that's nothing. You should hear me play the other. We can go for a walk. I quite like that, it was fun. What was fun about it? Quite fun, silly. Well, <laughs> I just silly. repeated the word. Silly? Fast. Well, the drumming on it is, I think, Mike Joyce's best drumming on any Smith track ever. That opening is just brilliant. I absolutely love it. Uh, the bass part in the background, although you, you possibly weren't concentrating on it, is just so all over the place in a good way. And then you get Morris's lyrics. They had hit singles that were almost like a straight song, but he'd always got a bit of a dark underbelly to a lot of his songs, which we will come to later. But then that was married to a, a wicked sense of humour. And that song has got a real sense of humour. He, he is a Republican. That's what the whole thing about The Queen is Dead was about. It, the humour in it. So one of the best lines in 1980s music for me is, I broke into the palace with a sponge and a rusty spanner. She said, I know you and you cannot sing. I said, that's nothing, you should hear me play piano. And it's the rhyme of spanner and piano. It's just so fun. It's so clever. Wrong on every level, but just so... Uh, makes me... He said piano, though. He doesn't. He says piano. He said piano. He says piano. It's a deliberate... Because spanner and piano don't rhyme. But if you mispronounce it, you get piano. If you're a bit lazy with the lyrics, it's genius. I mean, later on, it's got Charles, don't you ever crave to appear on the front of the Daily Mail dressed in your mother's bridal veil. We're going to move a little bit forward in their timeline to a single that was released in 1986, shortly after The Queen is Dead. This was a bit of a protest song about the radio and particularly the DJ Steve Wright who had played something that Morrissey, I think, thought was inappropriate after some a terrible news story. This is an absolutely cracking single. It was eventually available on their second compilation of material called The World Won't Listen. It's called Panic.
was all right. I think it was less good than the first one. This was number I mean, 11. I've got to have better English than the Smiths, man. <laughs> and the singer. <laughs> what? What's wrong with his English? He said Birmingham. You've got a problem with his saying Birmingham. Yes. He's from Manchester. But we're from Birmingham. <laughs> I think it's a great single panic. It does not overstate its welcome. It's based on another song. And I remember we've had discussions on previous ones about plagiarism, haven't we? Mm -hmm. And maybe reinterpreting other people's songs. That's heavily influenced by Metal Guru, or Metal Guru, depending on how you want to pronounce it, by T-Rex. The, the guitar part is... is almost a straight lift but it's a whole different song and a whole different feel given the fact that it is like a minor protest song we'll move forward now to another single that was released but from their final album it's the lead-off single from that album which is strange ways here we come which on a particular day might just Sneak above The Queen Is Dead in my affections, but I do still think The Queen Is Dead is a superior album. And it's... Girlfriend in a Coma. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, it's serious. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, it's really serious. Well, I should hope so. I mean, ideally, you'd have listened to the CD before. <laughs> well, it's all right. It's a, it's a bit weird. It's, it's, it's weird. Remember I said there's a dark underbelly to a lot of his songs? Mm. They're better and, than and the Madness, lyrics. so... Well, that we, we, we agree on. I, I, <laughs> much as I love Madness, and I, w I would put the Smiths on every time over Madness. I mean, they're a completely different type of band. Why would you give me Madness first, then? Because you already like the song, Our House. And in the earliest CDs I made, I was trying to widen... Appeal to me. I was trying to like widen... Spice Girls. You picked that. Exactly. But yes, I was trying to widen than just one or two songs of, a, of an artist you already knew into a whole CD's worth. We're now at, what, episode 39 in this podcast. And so now I can start picking artists that I really like and making you listen to stuff you don't really know much about. But you, Girlfriend in a Coma, the rhythm of that, that I often, whenever, whenever there's an actual phrase used that's got that rhythm, I end up doing that Girlfriend in a Coma melody to it. You'll hear me do it several times, Joel, and then you'll go, ah, that's what you're doing. You're doing Girlfriend in the Coma. I think I've heard you do it before. Yes, you have. Let's head to the second album, which was the only album in their lifetime as a band that actually did hit number one, their sole number one across their entire career, which is Meat is Murder. You may have heard the phrase Meat is Murder, yeah? About vegetarianism. Oh, yeah. That? yeah, yeah, yeah. That phrase didn't exist before the album Meat is Murder invented the phrase. And yet, Meat is Murder, the song, is all about vegetarianism. And it is actually, it, it, it expanded vegetarianism, certainly in the 80s amongst people. Because, it was, it, again, it's a protest song, effectively. But it's not a song I particularly like. And so it's not on this CD. What I did pick. Rush the last night of the fair by the big wheel generator. A boy is stabbed when his money is grabbed, and the air hangs heavy like a gull in wine. She is famous, she is funny, 
seem familiar at all? Vaguely. I wonder if it's because you might be slightly more familiar with, again, the source material that this is very heavily influenced by. And that is Marie's The Name of his latest flame by Elvis Presley. A very old friend came by today he was telling everyone in town of the love that he just found and Marie's the name of his latest flame. In fact, on their live album Rank, they actually mash up this song with Marie's the name of his latest flame. So even they knew where they nicked the melody from. So far, we have visited their second, third, fourth studio albums and their second compilation, The World Won't Listen. It is time to go right back to the beginning album, which is simply titled The Smiths. It is my least favourite of The Smiths studio albums. It's possibly because it's the darkest and most miserable in nature. And miserable is a word that was often used to describe The Smiths. This is still ill. necessarily a Smiths song that you know, but you will have the dawning realisation in a few songs time when we get to ones that are even more heavily influencing the song that you have got in the back of your head, but you just don't know you have when we get to them. I know that's cryptic, listeners. I, it sounds, no, it's got the same voice, so it must be. Yes. Honestly, Joel, if you don't remember what it is, when I remind you at the end, you will you will react in that. Around. Oh, yes! Because you will remember what it is, trust me. And, and that's going to be so much fun for us. <laughs> so that was Still Ill. Reminded me of the one that I know. What was it called? Like I say, not my favourite Smiths album, but I do like Still Ill. It's probably the purest guitar sound that they've had as a band. Because as they became more proficient in the studio... Johnny Marr became more interested in production sound and, and how things were constructed together. The only album from their lifetime, if, if you kind of consider their two major compilation albums to actually be part of their official album canon, that we have not had anything from at all so far, is Hatful of Hollow, which came out in 1984 between The Smiths and Meet His Murder which when you think that they hadn't yet released their second album, to basically releasing a compilation album of radio sessions of some of the tracks on the Smiths, but A-side and B-side material is quite remarkable, really, yeah. that they were actually in a position to be able to do that. It shows how prolific Johnny Marr and Morrissey were as a co-writing partnership. But we're going to the Hatful of Hollow now for... The single, William, it was really nice.
sure every song you've given me has gotten more weird. <laughs> what do you mean weird? As in odd. <laughs> well, we've gone backwards. Maybe, maybe they were odder at the start than they were to, towards the end of their maybe. careers. But William, it was really nothing. It's just a great jangly pop. And, and I know, I, I'm looking at you now. I can see in your head, you are racking your brains to think, what is this? Reminding me of. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, he's just got it, now. ladies and gentlemen. I think he just worked out what it is that it reminds him of. And what was it? The Horrible Histories thing. Horrible Histories Dickens song. Yes. Which is a perfect Smith's pastiche. It has featured elements already of... Actually, no, it hasn't featured any of the official elements yet. Yeah, it, it's... It's such a good pastiche, that Dickens Take a Dickens Take a Bow song, that it, it's just genius. It's, it's one... It's, for me, it's their best pastiche, and that's even better than the one about uh, Dick Turpin. I'd love to get a, a, a proper copy of the Horrible Histories Dickens song because it is basically, it's the Smiths in a nutshell, so beautifully observed. Moving on from William It Was Really Nothing to the very, very beginning and their debut single, Handing Work. to the others. You didn't like it? Didn't dislike it. It's my least favourite so far. I think the Smiths are a band that got better and better until they fell apart. And it is one of those things that you think how much better they could have got. I think there's even a nod to early Beatles in that song. So after the introduction, you get a little bit more introduction with the harmonica on it. And that almost nods back to the earliest Beatles stuff when they had John Lennon do harmonica on stuff like Love Me Do mm -hmm. and Please Please Me. For track eight, we are going back to The Queen Is Dead. And this one you definitely do know because you heard it multiple times, this is my favourite Smiths track. When the news broke about the death of Andy Rourke, I put the radio on, on the Friday morning he died. And at the time I didn't know that he'd died, but the radio then played a little bit of this song and I immediately went, because this was Radio 4, oh, one of the Smiths has died. And I thought, oh, I bet it's Andy Rourke, mainly because Andy Rourke had had some drug problems over time. I didn't know he actually had, he actually had pancreatic cancer. And then, of course, they said Andy Rourke had died. It's the perfect epitaph song for any member of the Smiths. It's There Is A Light That Never Goes Out. Take me out Oh, please don't drop me home Because 
it's not my home, it's their home and I'm welcome no more. And if a double decker bus crashes into us, to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. And if a tent on You absolutely have. It's in my top 100 songs of all time. Oh. It's been in my top 100 okay. songs of all time for a very long while. So there's no question that you've heard it on the CDs that I used to make of it. It's sublime, that track. The strings in it just add so much melancholy into an already fairly melancholic song. The playing's amazing. It's just brilliant lyrics as well not like your typical run-of-the-mill pop song i think it's one of the most influential 80s songs ever and they didn't release that as a single at least not to start with oh. it stands as their last ever single because it was released to promote the best two compilation and it's just cracking this should have been a single from that album instead of big mouth strikes again because it's just brilliant. Absolutely tremendous song. The next song is another of my absolute favourites and is also in my top 100. And again, you'll know this. This is one of the songs that is the most direct pastiche source for that horrible history song. It's This Charming Man, which was their second single. guitar part on it is particularly good isn't it yes that riff intro which i actually learned to play and the reason i learned to play it was because i just got into the smiths this was when i was at university 1993 the smiths had ceased to exist by that point by a good ooh, five years and it was just great fun to play and try and work out this charming man is the only smith song that could just sneak above its predecessor on this CD, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, as my favourite Smith song, because I just, I just, it just makes me happy. I mean, that's a really weird thing to say for a Smith song, seeing as they're the kings of miserabilism, which is not true, but it makes me happy. It's just kind of joyful. And it's the song that's probably the closest in terms of the pastiche content of that brilliant Horrible Histories thing. So from their second single, let's leap forward to their last single released from their final album. So I know I said that There Is A Light That Never Goes Out was their last single because that was for a compilation. This was their last single of a going concern of the band. They had split up by the time this was released, but it was from the final album, Stranger Is Here We Come. It's... Last night I dreamt somebody loved me. Last night I dreamt that somebody loved me. No hope, no harm. 
I love it, but I thoroughly understand why you say it was boring. And on the version I put on your CD, I did a special edit of it as well. Because the first that minute or so day. is an increasing synth part that is atmospheric, but for a 10-year-old boy, as you would have been when I made this CD, really quite boring. <laughs> I still think it's a really achingly, sadly beautiful song. It was their final single in their lifetime and wasn't hugely successful. And I'm not surprised that it wasn't successful either. But I, I do really admire the song and like it a lot, but I know why you probably don't. And I understand why you don't. Mm -hmm. The next track is from Hatful of Hollow. This is Please, Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want. Good times for a change. See, the luck I've had can make a good man turn bad. So please, 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 let me, let me, let me, let me get what I want this time. I thought that one was a bit boring as well. <sighs> My colleague at work thinks that's a, a top tenner for him, certainly in terms of the Smith songs. It didn't make my top 20 Smith songs on my YouTube channel. It wasn't a single for the Smiths, it was actually the B-side to William It Was Really Nothing, which you've already said was a bit strange. We're halfway now, this is track 12, and this first made it onto an album on a US compilation called Louder Than Bombs. Louder Than Bombs was eventually released in the UK it's now widely available but it is effectively the World Won't Listen album with a few of the tracks from Hatful of Hollow and then three or four additional songs that had been released since the World Won't Listen came out and this was one of them this was actually the first Smith song that I was probably even vaguely aware of. They didn't really cross my radar in the 80s. But this one I do vaguely remember hearing on the radio or in the shops and was probably my introduction Smith song. Because when I heard this at university, it was this song that really hooked me in and made me think, maybe I need to give them a chance and not just think that they're the most miserable band in the world. This is Sheila Take a Bow. It's wrong to want to live on your own No, it's not wrong, but I must know How can someone so young Sing words so sad Sheila, take a, Sheila, take a bow Boot the grime of this world in the posh gear And don't go home tonight Come out and find the one that you love and who loves you Weird. It was brilliant. It was weird. It was poptastic. It was oddity. Yes. But in a good way. It's a terrific single. That I think also got to either number 11 or 12. Or actually, that may have broken the top 10. I think it may have just hit number 10 in the charts. They had two top 10 singles that both hit number 10. In their lifetime, anyway. And, oh, it's so good. It's the reason for owning either a Smiths compilation or Louder Than Bombs, because it's just such a good song. The B-side is even better, actually, in my opinion. But we'll come to that later. Did you like the song, though? Yeah. Good. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Well, if you thought that song was weird, then the next one from The Queen Is Dead is going to probably more or less completely weird you out. It's Bikuda Tutu. Wouldn't cook for that at the Vagroos As Rose collects the money in the canister Who comes flying down the banister 
You're right, it is weird. Good though? No. No, you don't like this song? No, it's just weird. This song is cited by some as the reason why they don't think The Queen is Dead is the Smiths' best album. I have read somewhere where I they said... I don't blame them. I have read somewhere where somebody said it can't be their greatest album because it's got Vicar on a, in a tutu on it, which I just think is not true. I love Vicar in a tutu. It just makes me smile. It makes me smile every time and... It's got some great lyrics, again, great Morrissey lyrics of Rose collects the money in the canister, who comes sliding down the banister? I mean, that's just a brilliant piece of rhyming, isn't it? I guess. Wow, you really are enjoying yourself. Uh, weird lyrics. Well, we're going to return to the Smiths' debut album for one that's often cited as one of their greatest songs. I would agree, I think it's in my top 20 that I did on Andy Rourke on my YouTube. This is What Difference Does It Make. All men have secrets and here is mine So let it be known For we have been through hell and high tide I think I can rely on you And yet you start to recoil Heavy words are so lightly thrown But still I leap in front Of a flying bullet for you So what difference does it make? I like the warbles. You mean at the end with the, the falsetto, or do you mean all the way through the ah ha ha stuff? All the way through. What do you think? And also, the falsetto was very impressive as well, though. What do you think of the rest of the song? I mean, I think right. it's got quite dark chords. Kind of fits with what I think the song is about. It's about, I think, a grooming relationship between an older person and a young person. Mm. And that whole of that first album, The Smiths, has got some very dark places that it goes to. So let's dive forward to the final Smiths album and a cancelled single. This was intended to be released as the second single from Strange Ways, Here We Come. We'll talk about why and the lyric that led to it being withdrawn. After we've listened to it, it stopped me if you think you've heard this one before. I think it's a great song. Didn't I think it would have been a great. Special. I think it would have been a great single. It would have been the follow-up to "Girlfriend in a Coma." So, did you hear the line that I pointed out that said, "This is why it was withdrawn." The pain was enough to make a shy, poor Buddhist reflect and plan a mass murder. That's why it was withdrawn, because shortly before it was scheduled to be released, the Hungerford massacre took place in 1987. Which when is. Michael Ryan went through the town of Hungerford and shot dead 16 people, I think, including his own mother and then eventually himself. And remember that I said that our second track we listened to, Panic, was about the radio playing songs that didn't reflect what had been going on in the world on the news and they were critical of that, yeah? Mm-hmm. It would have been hypocritical of them to release a single with that line in straight after a, a mass murder. They released I Started Something I Couldn't Finish instead, which is a fine song, but I don't think it's anywhere near as good as 
stop me would have been. And while we're on the subject of aborted singles, the next track came from the album The World Won't Listen, but it too was an aborted single. This was meant to be the follow-up to Panic. And instead they released the single Ask, which we will hear in a, in a, in a bit anyway. But this for me is top five Smith songs of all time. And if you're an avid listener to our podcast, then this will seem a little bit familiar. It is You Just Haven't Earned It Yet, Baby. If you're wondering why, when all I wanted from life was to be famous, I have tried for so long, but it's all wrong. I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why. But you wouldn't believe me, you just haven't earned it yet, baby. You just haven't earned it, son. You just haven't earned it yet, baby. You must suffer and cry for a longer time. So did you recognise it, Joe? No. You weren't really paying attention to a previous episode because we had someone else's version of this included on episode 20 of our podcast. Okay. Do you remember who episode 20 was? Kirsty McCall. Correct. So, I don't remember any of the songs outside of the Columbia <laughs> 2, Eng England 2, Columbia 0, and Fairy Tale of New York from that one. So, Well, track five on that CD was her version of You Just Haven't Earned It Yet, Baby. And I actually prefer her version. So the fact they didn't release this as a single had a silver lining because we have the outstanding version by Kirsty McCall, which I think features Johnny Marr on the guitar anyway. That's funny. Well, they they had they had aborted the single, ended up on the world won't listen. She recorded it pretty swiftly. It's what you get. Great song. The next track is drawn from The Queen Is Dead. And it's another one of the slightly light-hearted songs. And this is an answer from Morrissey to critics that accused him of plagiarism in his lyrics. It's called Cemetery Games. If you must write prose and poems, the words you use should be around. Don't plagiarise or take on loan. But there's always someone somewhere with a big nose who knows and trips you up and laughs when you fall. Will trip you up and laugh when you fall. You say London do dust words which could only be your own. Text from whence was ripped some dizzy whore 1804. I didn't love that one. I love that one. Might, you singing great. along might have made it worse, to be honest. Oh, thanks a lot. I was trying to get you to listen to the actual lyrics of the song, which I think are probably the best part of it. Things like long done do does did. Words which could only be your own and then produce a text from whence was ripped some dizzy whore 1804. It's just so... One of Morrissey's finest lyrical constructions ever. And I, it's, I say it's an answer to people who accuse him of plagiarism. And he's making the point. Remember, on previous episodes, we've covered plagiarism many times, haven't we? Yeah. Nothing new under the sun is, is basically what we're kind of saying, really, is that people have been borrowing from others for time immemorial. And even that phrase comes from someone else. It's like all those phrases that we use that we know are from Shakespeare. Throw your courage to the sticking place. I don't think I've ever heard that said outside of studying Macbeth. <laughs> and it, throw your courage to the sticking place is in Beauty and the Beast, so you're wrong. You have heard it. Oh, it's screw your courage to the sticking place. Get it right, Dad. <laughs> but it's still lifted from Shakespeare, even though it's screw your courage to the sticking place on that one. The next track was released on Louder Than Bombs in America, Therefore, when it came over as an import, it kind of got a UK release, but it was the B-side to the single we had earlier, which was Sheila Take About. I think it's an ever so slightly better song. 
it is. It is. Is it really so strange? I left the north, I travel south. I found a tiny house and I can't help the way I feel. Why was that class to the stage? That's a perfect... I know, it wasn't. It was, it was just normal. It's, it's a average. perfect B-side to Sheila Take a Bow. Really does marry up quite well in the whole feeling yeah, of the sound. Yeah, I, I can It was see done that. for a David Jensen session, I think, and then just lifted and released as a B-side. Great song. Though. The amount of quality songs that they threw away as B-sides is, is kind of shocking, really. They are possibly... Does it make you the respect last... them less? No, no, I think they're possibly exactly. the last genuinely great album and singles artist that did both brilliant albums and brilliant singles. Charlie Puth. Charlie Puth doesn't really do standalone singles in the same way. Yes, he does. Well, maybe he's re recreating the thing, but it's only great when they've done as much as something like the Smiths have done. I mean, the Smiths... Don't okay, know Charlie Booth only has three albums. Thank you. They, they had multiple albums and multiple standalone singles. And that's a great I'd, singles artist and a great albums artist. I'd argue that Taylor's, the best song on Taylor Swift albums, even if they're really, even when they're really good albums, are the singles. That's fine. But they're from the albums. Standalone singles... Ah, uh, yeah, okay. ...don't really happen Oh, anymore. yeah, no, Charlie Puth doesn't fit into that. Unless... You're going to say that he's obviously done. That's not how this works, which is a yeah. standalone single, until it appears on whatever his next album is going to be. It might not, though. I have a feeling it won't. Last great album and singles artist for me was The Smiths. Everybody else, the singles just appear on the albums now. And yeah, they had singles from albums, but yeah. And they did it all in the space of five years. It's amazing, really. The. Really? Really. They, they were only the, around for five years? They were only around for five years. Formed in 83, released their first single in 83, fallen apart and broken up by 1987. Wow. They packed so much in that possibly, again, the most prolific artist since the Beatles in terms of how much they produced in the time that were there. Meet is Murder for our next track and my favourite track from that album, although... I need to re-listen to it again and see whether or not it's actually grown in my affections. It's that joke isn't funny anymore. When life about people feel so very lonely Their only desire is to die But I'm afraid it doesn't make me smile I wish I could laugh You didn't like that, did you? No, I thought it was perfectly average. <laughs> it was fine. It's top ten Smiths for me. I think that joke isn't funny anymore. It's fantastic. It was a complete flop as a single. Partly because it was already out on the album Meet His Murder. And so people didn't buy it. Remember what we were saying about albums and singles? I think this one was a perfect example of it. Although I must admit, I think the follow-up single was Shakespeare's Sister and that 
That too didn't do particularly well in the charts, although Shakespeare's Sister is a very much an acquired taste of the song. From Hatful of Hollow, it's Girl Afraid. Boy Afraid, prudence never pays, and everything she wants costs money. But she doesn't even like me. I'm afraid of how long that intro was. It's it is very long, jangly guitar intro. Is it right? I I like the song a lot. It's not one of my top draw Smiths ones, I have to admit. It was the B side to Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, which was their first top ten single. And spoilers we're going to hear at some point. Then it was included on Hatful of Hollow, that first compilation. We're getting towards the end, we've got four left to go, and we are gonna go with another standalone single that eventually made it onto The World Won't Listen. It's got the shortest song title of anything that the Smiths released, it's Ask. Coyness is nice and coyness can stop you from saying all the things in life you'd like to. Pretty good. I mean, it's of a time, it's so close to the release of Panic that you can kind of hear the musical evolution. They were getting, for me, they were getting better and better as a band. And the reason behind their split was Johnny Marr wanted to start working with other artists. Morrissey didn't want him to. There's a track on their final album called I Won't Share You, which is all about that. And Johnny Marr also wasn't happy himself with the fact that they'd started out as this band, The Smith, trying to change music, and then they were recovering songs by Cilla Black. And he wasn't, that wasn't what he got into music to do. And so the writing was on the wall, and it was around about the time of the release of Ask and then the recording of Strange Ways, Here We Come, that the cracks became permanent which is a shame. They could have gone on and done other great things. The next track I've picked was originally a B-side and then it was released as an A-side, which is an unusual thing. Regularly cited, but not by me, as the Smith's greatest song called How Soon Is Now. At least from what I'm hearing, the cleanest produced that we've listened to. 
right. sort of cleanest production. Um, it's the most traditional rock that I find. I don't hear that. I, I think it's the I most... I think it's the most capable of being a hit. And yet it wasn't a massive hit. It was only top 20. It was released a second time. To top a... 20 is good, Dad. At best you would be top... very happy to get a top I 20 would. single. I would, but they had already broken into the top 10 by that time. And so... I think any in, artist in some should be ways, happy with the top 20. Potentially, it actually stalled their momentum. Releasing a song that had already been a B-side as then an A-side, which was already owned by all of their fans, who may not have gone out and bought it as a result. It was added to Meet His Murder for the US release. Would it have improved the Meet His Murder album? Yeah, I think it probably does. But I don't think it's their best, their greatest song. But most people So far, I think it is. Well, I'm unconventional and you're the conventional one then, aren't you? Is it your favourite so far? Yes. Oh, wow. Except I maybe, really didn't except, think you'd like it. Except maybe This Charming Man, but that's familiarity, I think. I think this Charming Man is way better. <laughs> Penultimate track from The Queen Is Dead is another one of their most definitely on the humour side of their lyrics. It's frankly Mr Shankly. But sometimes I feel more fulfilled Making Christmas cards with a mentally ill to live and I want to love I want to catch something that I might be ashamed of Frankly, Mr Shankly, this position I've held It pays my way and it corrodes my soul Oh, I didn't realise that you wrote poetry I didn't realise you wrote such bloody awful poetry Mr Shankly Mr. Shankly, since you ask, you are a flatulent pain in the ass. I do not mean to be so rude. Still, I must speak frankly, Mr. Shankly. I'll give us money. It's all right. It's <laughs> good, all right, though. I guess. I mean, you don't get many songs with referring to the antagonist of the song is a flatulent pain in the ass and getting away with it because it's just that comes straight after the opening track of the album the queen is dead and the first one we listen to total change of tone it's just a great song i i frankly mr shankly it's again easily top 20 smiths for me last track first top 10 hit made it onto the hatful of hollow compilation and Again, think back to that horrible histories because this is this is probably the touchstone song that led to the horrible histories parody. It's heaven knows I'm miserable now. looking for a job and then I found a job and heaven knows I'm miserable now <laughs> that's you top 10 hit and it garnered them the reputation of the miserableism kings but they were so much more as we've heard on all of these tracks there's so much humour in Smith's songs a lot of the time yeah and Morrissey leaving aside his recent pronouncements and questionable comments around racism and things one of the greatest lyricists of the 1980s by some distance 
Did you enjoy the overall CD? It was all right. <laughs> I, th I think it's funny that it has just straight up a compile hard branding. Because I've been doing graphic design for my work experience. Which has given you a new lease of life for this podcast, potentially. Yeah, I've been working on some rebrands and advertising and marketing and stuff for yeah. this podcast. And in some of our temp in some of our marketing for like Facebook and stuff, I use clips of me going, It's alright. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, Joel does say that a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, that was the Smiths. It's time for... Joel's Revenge! What have you got for me, then? So, yeah, this, is, this song is by Tate McRae, who is a Canadian singer-songwriter that kind of emerged in about 2020. Her debut album came out last year, and this is, like, the front-loader single from it. Okay. And cool. it is She's All I Want to Be. You want the girl with the small waist And the perfect smile Someone who's out every weekday In her dad's new car You tell me I shouldn't stress out Say it's not that hard But I just got a feeling This will leave an ugly scar If you say she's not Revenges. So possibly within the top five of Joel's Revenges you've done for me. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I quite like that. I, I could listen to I could listen to more of of her stuff. I mean I'm not I'm not in love with her vocal stylings. <laughs> that whole kind of kind of slightly stilted vocal that seems to be very much in vogue. But the song was, was decent. And if you made me listen to her album, I don't think I'd be itching to turn it off unless that was by far the best song and the rest are awful. Well, that was my favourite single of last year by quite a lot. Only remains for me to cross-promote my YouTube channel, which is Pock and Rop. I have taken a bit of a mini break recently of posting every single week and just to kind of reinvigorate I've been doing it for two and a half years and just to kind of decide what I actually want the channel to be about but if you'd like to head on over to YouTube and finding that that would be great we're going to be doing off-topic videos that involve me yes there will be off-topic videos which are not music related so and I also have my gaming channel which is the first party India and how many videos do you have on it one wow <laughs> And also, make sure to check out our new website, which should be generationmix.co.uk. It should be out by the time this comes out. Listen out for our musical clue at the end of the episode. But until next time, which hopefully won't be quite so long a gap as it was for this one, this is Generation Mix signing off. Bye. Bye. Generation Mix.